Welcome to the Resurrection People podcast with Preston Sharp, pastor of Sacrament Church in Nashville, Tennessee, and curator of The Art of Preaching. Each week, we look at three readings from the Bible, drawn from the Revised Common Lectionary. Find more at theartofpreaching.substack.com. Welcome back to the Resurrection People podcast. Today, we are looking at our gospel reading for the week, which comes from Matthew 16, verses 21 through 28. Here, Jesus tells his disciples that he must die and must be raised. Peter does not like this one bit. Wait, you're going to die? No way. That's a really loose paraphrase of verse 22. And Peter rebukes Jesus here. Like Moses resisting God's plan at the burning bush, like the reflex with which Paul knows we will struggle, Peter insists this is not what will happen. Suffering and death will not take place on his watch. That is not the script. That is not how Peter thinks things are supposed to go. Jesus responds to him and says, get behind me, Satan. Now, Jesus is not calling Peter Satan here. This is not a new nickname for him. No, Peter has just been called in the passage before, has just been called the rock on which Jesus will build his church. And now he says, Jesus says, that Peter is a stumbling block. Like Peter, we often want a Messiah, a Christ in victory but not one in suffering. We want to shortcut pain and sacrifice. We want to run away from the storm. But Jesus says that this reflex to just fix it, this reflex to have a Christ who does not suffer, it's satanic. This means that the disciples need a massive reorientation. The church is so often both. We are the rock, And then we often act as the stumbling block. This is why religion is so powerful. When we trust God, when we recognize his power to heal and to form rightly and to restore, we see that at work in people's lives. When we listen to ourselves and ignore God, we get twisted and we have the power to hurt. Like many of you, I've seen a lot of documentaries and listened to a lot of podcasts lately about churches that have hurt people deeply. The reality is that the church is full of broken people, and we too often live as a stumbling block rather than the rock which we are. The good news is that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We need his rescue We need to know that we are consistently dependent on Christ and not on ourselves because our attempts to rescue ourselves and the world always fail. But following Jesus means letting go. It will cost us everything. It means laying it all down. You have to lose your life in order to find it. The Greek word here for life is psyche, which is used over and over again in these few verses. Sometimes it's translated life. Sometimes it's translated soul, the same word. It's a rich concept, which is really difficult to translate with just one word. Eugene Peterson in the message translation translates the term your true self. So Jesus is saying, here's how you can find your truest self by giving it up. Jesus says, strength comes through weakness, through brokenness. Now today, when we hear the command, take up your cross, we automatically think of Jesus' cross. 
And that makes sense, especially because this comes right after Jesus predicts his death. So we go, okay, take up your cross. That's what Jesus did, takes up his cross. But at this point in Matthew's gospel, Jesus is not yet associated with a cross because he hasn't died yet. At this time in the Roman Empire, condemned criminals of all sorts had to carry the crossbar that was used for their crucifixion to their place of execution. So today, when we hear take up your cross, it's really similar to might be put your neck in the noose, put your head on the chopping block, stand in front of the firing squad. Commentator John Nolan says, the call is so to behave that the anticipated outcome may naturally be the loss of one's life. There is a radical denial of self-interest and normal concerns for one's own well-being here. Now, Jesus doesn't spell out exactly what all this looks like. Take up your cross. The only specific thing they're told is to follow him. Jesus' message to the disciples was completely counterintuitive. It was quite literally the opposite of what they expected. And at this point in Matthew's gospel, Peter has just confessed that the disciples believe Jesus is not just a prophet, he's God's anointed king, the Messiah. And if that's the case, they need to plan a strategy, right? They need to take up arms. They need to gather a people for revolution. They need to be ready to grab the throne. But Jesus's vision of this is like a mirror image or a parallel universe version of the disciples' expectation. Yeah, he's going to go to Jerusalem, but it won't be to build an army and grab a throne. It will not look like winning a battle. This call to follow Jesus has echoed throughout the centuries, and it's a call to give up everything. It will cost us everything. We can't do it halfway. You have to lose your life to find it. As we lay down our lives, as we plant our lives in the ground, God takes our faults, our failures, our strengths, and our joys, and in him uses them in a way that we never would have expected. We see these things in their seed form, but when they're given over to God, when they're planted, they become something completely different. We look at our lives and we say, that's not, that can't be anything good. That's not wheat. That's just a seed. That can't be used for anything. And yet, as we submit our hearts to Christ, he invites us towards something altogether unexpected. At the end of the novel, A Wrinkle in Time, by acclaimed author Madeline Lengel, the character Meg has a brother. Her brother's name is Charles Wallace, and he has been overcome by the it of the universe, which is what it's called, the Satan character. And he keeps, Charles, under this influence, keeps hitting his sister with lies. He says their father abandoned them and no one loves her. Everyone thought she was odd. She would never be cool and never be accepted. Now, Meg had been told by the missus that she was the only one who could rescue Charles Wallace. The reason was because she has something it has not. So she searches her brain. What do I have that the it has not? What do I, could I possibly have that's more powerful or more meaningful than what the it has? What could it be? What do I have? And at the end, she realizes that this thing she has is love. 
So while Charles Wallace is slinging these lies and insults to her, she responds with, I love you, Charles Wallace. You are my darling and my dear and the light of my life and the treasure of my heart. I love you. I love you. I love you. Charles is ultimately released from the grip of the lies of the enemy because of the power of sacrificial love. Today, we have to learn to think from Jesus's alternative universe rather than from our own experience. What the world counts as foolishness and folly are indeed true wisdom. Cling on to your life and you'll lose it. Give everything you've got to following Jesus, including life itself, and you will win it. Thanks for listening to the Resurrection People podcast. Subscribe, rate, and review to help us get the word out. You can hear full sermons at sacramentchurch.com and find out more at theartofpreaching.substack.com.